Welcome back, everyone. I'm Tony Brown, and you're listening to Firearms Cafe, the show where we discuss the philosophies of responsible firearms ownership, as well as the relevant issues and challenges that we face in the current gun culture. Before we jump into the show, let's get the contact info out of the way. You can contact me several different ways. I have the voicemail, which is area code 206-745-2731. You can also record an MP3 or WAV file and email that to me for the show. If you're not comfortable with recording an audio message, please feel free to contact me via email, and I'll read out your comments on the next show. The address for both email and audio content is firearmscafe at gmail.com. Again, that's all one word, firearmscafe at gmail.com. I also have a Facebook listener page, a Twitter account, and a YouTube channel. There are buttons for these at the website, so please go there and click on those buttons and like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, and subscribe to me on YouTube. These are all free. Finally, if you'd like to support the show financially, there's a couple of different ways to do that. I have a PayPal donation button over at the website. I also have an Amazon link. So if you're going to buy something through Amazon, there's no additional cost to you. But if you go through my link, I will get a percentage of that as kind of a finder's fee. I'm looking forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you for spending your time with me and listening to the show. Okay, everybody. Today is Sunday. It's the 15th of September, 2013. On the show today, we're going to kind of talk a little bit about politics and things I know some of you are saying, no, not more politics, but it's sort of what's on the plate for today. Now, before I, I jump in with that, uh, some of you guys may notice on uh, when you download it that there's no titles for the show. There's not that anything wrong with it. And this is probably only for the one or two of you that, <laughs> that would actually notice it. But in the past and on all the episodes, I've always tried to to put a title and have it relate somewhat to to what the subject of the show was and uh i tried to be clever who knows whether i ever was but um i've kind of gotten a little tired of that and kind of gotten away i think i'm going to get away from that and uh the shows are just going to be from uh, number 101 forward are just going to be numbered much like i do over at uh, the armed ape on those shows are just numbered there's no there's no titles with them so it's not that some something got lost or something didn't get downloaded, uh, but that's what that is. So anyway, on with the show. Now, we do have some good feedback today from Aaron in Colorado, and he's uh, going to be talking a little bit about some of the recall stuff that happened over there. And I also have a news clip from, um, I think her name is Angela Hirone, uh where she was being interviewed by a, a CNN person. But we'll get to that stuff here in a second. The first thing I wanted to talk about was Obama, a couple of weeks ago, had signed in a couple of executive orders having some things to do with firearms. And what we're seeing is that because they're not able to, at least this administration, isn't able to push through a lot of the things that they want to get pushed through, through conventional means, that they're they're doing an in-run. And for him, politically, I don't, I don't really think he cares. I think he's going to sort of get away with whatever he can get away with because he's uh, a lame duck. There's a course there. He won't be reelected. He'll, he'll uh, term limit out. And it, it seems in the, in the political circus that we have in this country that, uh, at least for the last few times, it's been... The Democrats get eight years, and the Republicans get eight years, then Democrats get their time, and you know they sort of switch off back and forth. So at this next election, I, I think we're probably going to get a Republican again, and uh, for the most part, most of the policy and things that we see will kind of trundle along. Generally speaking, most Republican presidents don't do much in the way of going after Second Amendment rights or, or trying to implement a lot of gun control. And again, that's in general. But let's get back and uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about some of these executive orders. And again, seeing that kind of as an in run, uh, which this president seems to be rather fond of doing. One of the first things that uh, he had signed was a ban on the reimportation 
I think that's maybe the right word to use, of the uh, the Garands that had gone over to Korea, and I believe those had, those had gone over maybe in the uh, in the fifties or sixties. I'm not exactly sure when. And I think the State Department was it last year, the year before last. Uh, they, some of those things were going to come back, and they had tried. They had, uh, I think, through Clinton, Hillary Clinton. Basically, they stopped that. And so once again, we sort of see. Um, maybe I don't know if there was. Every every year you could retry, or every couple years or something you can retry to to send them back in. Whether or not we'll ever see those, uh, if we get a Republican president, uh, if if uh, he'll he'll override that executive order with one of his own, and those those rifles would be allowed back in the country. The civilian marksmanship program. When I was a kid, used to. Uh, you, you could get some pretty good grants because there was a bunch of surplus ones, and they were what, a couple hundred dollars, maybe three hundred dollars. Right now, if you wanted to get one, just because of the scarcity of them, you have to take one that uh, would be considered substandard. You know, the stock's going to be beat up. Um, it, it'll work, but it's, it's not going to be the greatest, and you're going to pay a, a pretty good price for them. And to get one that's um, that would be considered other than maybe like a service grade, so it may have some dings and and uh, dents and some scratches and things like that. The finish may not be that great on them. Uh, but if you wanted to get one of the higher ones, you're probably looking around nine hundred to a thousand dollars. There's probably other ones that you could get that that uh, that if you if you wanted to pay the higher price. For me, I I would love to have one of those rifles. The price of it though, and what I would have to pay. Uh, wouldn't really justify it. To me, it would be something to have sort of as a collector's item. So I don't know if uh, if over time, so, you know, 2016, let's say, if those rifles will ever come back into the country. Uh, uh, I'm not sure how it has to work. I'm not sure, sure who is in, in kind of in possession of them, if they'll try and sell them off somewhere else or if they'll keep them thinking... Well, we can wait a couple more years, and and uh, and then maybe we can import them back into the country and make some money on them uh, for them. So I, I don't know. So we'll we'll just have to see on that. Now, a uh, another executive order that he signed has to do with a, a trust, uh, specifically a firearms type trust. I have a, a basic understanding of how the trust works, why you would set it up. I, I know why you set it up for monetary reasons. In the case of the firearms, I'm not exactly sure what the what the rules are. So if anybody out there is an attorney uh, who has uh, some experience with either with trust or just knows about them in general, especially as pertains to the firearms, I do have several questions and I'd like to get some clarification. So if you could write in or call in or, or record an MP3, um, the, the, some of the questions I have. Well, well, first before we jump into that, the executive order I think that Obama signed basically said that everybody on the trust would have to be signed off on, by a, the chief law enforcement officer in that area. I don't know. Well, let's see. The, the way that, it, that a, normally a trust would work is the trust is seen as an entity. So if you want to, you could think of it, the trust is sort of like a, an imaginary person. And the people that are the trustees or the people that are signed on to the trust can control whatever whatever is in the trust. So if you have firearms in there, if you have uh, assets, so money. If you have homes, if you have things like that, the the trust is the is the entity that actually owns owns the property. So that let's say that if your if your grandparents were on it, and your parents were on it, and you were on it, and then your kids were on it, and let's say that your your grandparents were the original owners of the property. Well, once they pass away. From what I understand, there's no inheritance because the ownership of that property hasn't been transferred. Uh, just you as, as one of the trustees has a certain amount of control. 
normally there is a hierarchy in the trusts so that you'll have a person who is in charge, who's, who's number one, who's number two, if there's more than, than one person. Uh, sometimes if there's only two, it's an equal thing. Usually if there's, if there's let's say, three or four people, you do have one person who is sort of the the head trustee, and then you have other, and then you it's, and then all this stuff is usually spelled out in the trust in the documentation of that. How that works with firearms, I don't know. Uh, but again, let's say if that that head person they pass away, then the next one in line they become the head person. All the assets and everything are available to the trustees. Again, depending on how you've done it. So with a firearm, let's say that it was that it was you and your spouse, your children, and, and uh, you had uh, uh, your parents were, were still living. So you would have grandparents, parents, and children. In theory, from the way I understand it, anybody on that trust could use those firearms. And let's say the firearms weren't even NFA items or they weren't uh, things like suppressors. Let's just say that you had a... Uh, a shotgun in the trust, or you had an AR-15 or a, uh, a semi-automatic AK-47 or just certain type of handguns. Also, some of the criticism of the trust, and I don't know whether these arguments are valid or not, because I don't think you can get around certain ownership or use laws if you were a prohibited possessor. Again, I'm not 100% on that. I don't know. The questions I have are, number one, in the trust, let's say if you have, when it's originally set up, and you, you buy the firearms and you're putting it in, in there, who, who is the chief law enforcement officer signing off on? So are they signing off right now, or, or, or do they sign off on it at all? Is it, uh, they say, or is it just a thing where they say, yeah, here's the trust, and, and uh, I, I, we understand there could be other people in it, but you can't have people who are prohibited possessors, or, or otherwise it would be illegal for them to have or use any of that, the assets, in this case being the firearm, in that trust. So I don't know. Also, I don't know... If this is if it goes retro, so if you if you had a, a trust now, let's say, where again it was you, your spouse, uh, your parents, and your children, if if the chief law enforcement officer now has to sign off everybody and decides, well, I'm not going to sign off on anyone, so I I'm I'm going to. I'm not going to give my permission, and this is if it would be retroactive. What happens, especially if it's something like an NFA item? So if it's something like you had a uh, an M16 that was that was built in 1978, um, you know, before before the bans, and you know, I believe it was '86. Um, you know, how does that work? Uh, or if if the if the the chief law enforcement officer signed off on, let's say, me, and then I come to an untimely end, but he had refused to sign off on my wife or child, technically the trust possesses the firearms, but those firearms are not held in a, uh, a vault somewhere in a bank. They're usually going to be at that person's home. So in, in theory, they are in possession of the property. So again, I don't know how does that how does that stuff work? Would they be considered to be in violation of federal law? And these are all questions again that I don't know. Frankly, I'm surprised that they haven't gone after trusts earlier, uh, and and uh, maybe because they're not as common, uh, and most people don't use them. But uh, as things in this country become more and more restrictive and more and more attacks are made on us as gun owners, basically. Uh, things where you where you can shelter your assets legally are becoming more and more of a, uh, a commonplace practice, I guess, for lack of a better turn of phrase. So uh, again, if, if there are any attorneys out there, or if maybe if someone has a trust, 
Again, if you want to send that information to me, not, not your trust information, obviously, but if you say, hey, you know, I have a trust and this is how it was set up, uh, you, you don't have to use your real name or anything like that. And if you send me something in an email, I'll read it out. I won't use your name just to uh, uh, give you some amenity. Uh, so I would love to hear and love to kind of know what the procedures are on that type of a thing. All right, so let's take a look at what has happened in Colorado. And uh, like I said before, we do have some feedback from Aaron, and we'll play that here in a moment. And then after uh, the recall, uh, of course, this, is, this isn't going to be news to most of you, but uh, Senator Morse and Senator Hiron, I think that's how you say her name, were both recalled. And if we look at just that in and of itself, just a recall, let's say we, we don't really care why they were recalled, but just the fact that they were, that's very rare in, in our country. Um, it, it, recalls do happen, but to have two of them recalled at the same time and to, to get all that, all that stuff in place and get the balls rolling and then to battle against all the money and the influence that was coming in from the outside and to get the result of them both being recalled is very rare. And what that says is that there, I, I think over the last few years, we've reached a turning point sort of, sort of in the culture wars. And we've talked about before, that as as more and more people come to own firearms and as more and more people have been brought up with them, and especially in the last probably 10 to 15 years, there is, there, there's, there used to kind of be like a stigma if you talked about guns or said you were a gun owner. And now that is, that is that is slowly going away. And I think a lot of that is, more, number one, more and more people are are owning firearms, but also people that are in their mid to late 20s and 30s have basically grown up with things like YouTube and, and, and are much more used to sort of social media. They are questioning things. Um, they are not accepting the status quo as much. Um, and by doing that and by questioning a lot of the things, they're they're looking at the arguments of the anti-gun people and saying, well, wait a minute, this doesn't make much sense. Uh, and the, the, the people that I used to truff, trust, excuse me, maybe that were on the left, who used to be anti-war and used to be all these things, but now that it's their guy who's doing all the war, the warfare and the warmongering and this saber rattling and the dropping the bombs and everything, maybe I need to look closer and have a little bit of mistrust for some of the other things they're saying as well. And look, you can make these same arguments on the right. Um, the majority of the people that we have in there are there for their own benefit and there for their own gain. The majority of the people that we have in there are probably not very nice people. Um, don't confuse or misconstrue charm with niceness. Uh, most of these people would sell you and me down the river in a heartbeat if they thought it would further their their careers or further their agendas one inch. Uh, they would they would think nothing about totally destroying our lives. Uh, totally making a ruin of of hundreds or thousands of us again if it if it furthered their agenda so let me go ahead and i'm going to play uh aaron's feedback and then we'll we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about that hi tony this is aaron in colorado springs just wanted to uh, give everybody an update on the uh, colorado recall election we were successful in recalling uh, two folks, uh, Senate President John Morris and Angela Heron. She's a senator for Pueblo, which is, a, uh, I believe, the third largest city in Colorado, uh, just south of Colorado Springs by about 70 miles. Uh, the interesting thing was that uh, Morris was recalled by two 
uh, by only 2% margin, and Heron was recalled by a 12% margin. Um, I believe the reason why uh, Morris was only a 2% margin is because just recently uh, he passed a bill or was able to get a bill passed that allowed folks to show up at the polling locations, fill out a piece of paperwork that stated they were moving to or had plans to move to his District 11, or District 11, which he's a senator for. And I believe that opened up uh, the system to quite a bit of voter fraud. There were reports of students showing up with uh, quite a few uh, ballots in backpacks and stuffing them in the ballot box. So I believe that that 2% margin probably would have been a lot greater if we had not had... Uh, the uh, stuffing going on. But uh, as I had mentioned before, this is a uh, great stride forward for the uh, Second Amendment and the Constitution in general, in that if you are a politician and you do not vote the way your constituents want them to, or the way you have stated that you would when you were being elected, uh, we're going to oust you. And sends a pretty darn clear message to Bloomberg as well that um, you can't spend in the case of the recall election, I believe it was $350,000 for Morris and uh, $350,000 for Heron uh, to sway the election. The local people have woken up to, to some extent and uh, we're basically telling you, no, you can't do this. You're not going to come into our backyard and uh, change our communities to reflect uh, New York or whatever other city the mayor decides that they want to uh, sway the vote in. So just wanted to let everybody know and uh, take care. Enjoy the podcast. Okay, Aaron. Thanks for sending that in. I appreciate it. You know, one of the things that I didn't know was what Morse had been able to push through, which was basically a tweak on the rules of who gets to vote. Uh, it's very disturbing, uh, especially what you said about that people could sign a, a letter saying that they intended to move in that district, and so therefore they they would get to vote. So I think, uh, much like any anything, when we're looking at numbers, um, we have to kind of take that stuff with a grain of salt. And like you said, even though it seemed like it was close, it probably really wasn't. Uh, so let me go ahead, and I want to play this news clip and it's going to it's going to also tie in with some stuff that Aaron had said but I want you to pay attention in there now it's 7 minutes long and the reason I'm going to play the the full thing is because I want it to be in context and I want you to notice that a couple of things that the um newscaster says and she said that there was you know basically all this grassroots uproar over very mild uh, firearms restrictions. And if you want to go and actually watch the video, I'll put a link to it over on the website at firearmscafe.com under show number 101. And you can watch Hiron's um, face. You can tell uh, that she is a little frustrated and disappointed that the newscaster basically isn't going along with her version of events and, and what had happened. Um, also, what we see is whenever the anti-gun side is, is dealt a, a defeat, whenever they lose ground, they beat the drum of the devil of the NRA and look, the NRA does a lot of stuff that, that I don't agree with. Uh, I guess I should say the leadership of the NRA. But uh, ultimately, the NRA is us. If we don't send in money, if, we don't, if we're not members, they don't have a lot of power. And I would encourage you, again, if you don't like what they're doing, if you're not a member, become a member. You don't have to be a life member. You could be, a, uh, I guess, an associate member or just a regular old you know, NRA member for around, I think, $25. There's there's places uh, you can go like to Tom Gresham's site and a lot of times uh, uh, other places. Uh, I think a yearly membership is 35 and if you join through certain ones, sometimes they give you like a $10 discount or something like that. Uh, but even if it's still $35, it's, it's, uh, it is a voice that we do have and you don't have to like everything they do. Um, 
you know, and we talked about this before, and I'm not trying to be a negative Ned here, but the um, when the Second Amendment Foundation with that Manchin-Tooney Amendment, they it was basically going to be an end to private sales. And they kind of messed up on that, and they haven't really stepped forward, and I haven't heard any other uh, talk shows really kind of take those guys to task and say, well, why did you sign off on this? Why did you do this? Why did you do that? Uh, It's basically kind of swept under the rug. And that's some of the things that I don't like about, about, uh, about some of the big talk shows and things like that. They're never going to do that. And sometimes I think that what we need to do is we do need to, to admit when we do make mistakes and we need to say, and I think, you know, that, uh, Alan Gottlieb can come on and say, you know what, we were kind of wrong on this. We did what we thought was best, but you know we're going to move forward. And we're going to make sure that we don't repeat that mistake again. And I think that would go a long way for their credibility. Of course, I don't know that they'll ever do that. Uh, much like the NRA, they don't ever really admit when they're wrong uh, because they think it may affect their uh, pool of money that they can get. So anyway, uh, let me go ahead and play the uh, the newscast. And uh, it's going to be seven minutes, and uh, then we'll come back and talk a little bit about that. We ought to know by now, but when politics, guns, and the Second Amendment all meet, to, to, to paraphrase journalist Hunter S. Thompson, things get strange, and maybe none stranger than what just happened in Democrat-leaning Colorado, where voters have ousted the Democratic head of the state Senate, that's him on the right, and a second Senate Democrat from a heavily Democratic district because they helped pass some fairly modest firearms restrictions. But that in and of itself isn't even as big a deal when you consider that one of the two races was a war by proxy between gun control advocate Michael Bloomberg, the billionaire mayor from New York, and a Pueblo plumber by the name of Victor Head. He is a political novice and a gun rights supporter with no real money to speak of here. And uh, you know the end of the story here. The plumber won. How? By organizing this recall election that toppled state senator Angela Hiron, despite the fact that Bloomberg's group spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on Hiron's behalf. So Angela Hiron joins me now um, from Colorado Springs. and, and Ms. Hiron, you know, two days after this surprise defeat, we have you here. You were considered this, you know, heavy favorite. Yesterday, you were quoted as saying that you weren't sure quite what had happened. Have you figured that out yet? Well, yeah, and I think that that was a really a, a, a misquote in that we know what really happened here. I mean, yes, we had a strong NRA, and and you have uh, a person like uh, Mr. Head. But really, what was what this story really is about? It's about voter suppression. When Colorado has voted um, by mail, 70% of Coloradans vote by mail, and we didn't have access to that mail ballot. I mean, I was okay. At doors. Forgive me, but I'm going to cut you talking. off right there because if we talk voter suppression, I've read reports of. Lack of popularity on your behalf. Let's just not go there. Let's get to the meat of the story, which is uh, this gun control that stance that, that you and your. Uh, let's let's talk though about the stance that you and your colleague, the, the head of the Senate, a former you know police officer, ha- have taken. And here you have mega mega cash from Mayors Against uh, Illegal Guns, Mayor Bloomberg, versus this grassroots effort. What happened? I'm telling you, what happened is that you had. Um, only um, 30,000 of the voters who in the last election, um, off-year election, was 45,000. And so of the people that are um, in support of very common sense uh, gun legislation weren't able to get to the polls. They vote by um, ballot, and they have been doing that for 25 years. I mean, we have to call it for what it is. When I was talking to people at the doors it, and in their homes, it was that, oh, this is what this is about because you want universal background checks and you voted for that, and because you're limiting magazines to 15. Mm-hmm. I don't see anything wrong with that. I don't see that that is um, any infringement on the Second Amendment. So people didn't know what it was about. There was voter confusion. There, we didn't even know what the rules of the game were. This is the United States of America. We didn't know what the rules of the game were a week out from the election. Where to vote, how to vote, where you're going to get a ballot in the mail. Um, and so it was just 
that confusion okay. led to the voices of people in Pueblo County and El Paso County okay. not having their voices heard, and yet they're going to have to pay for this election, the most expensive in the history of these two counties. I understand that that is one side of this. The other side is the Republican, who you lost to. Let's hear from uh, him and some of the, his supporters. Politicians can and should be held accountable when they vote to uh, infringe on our rights as citizens. That the people will not um, go against the Constitution or our Second Amendment rights. I still just want to be able to give my girlfriend my shotgun that's in my closet. So that's been it from the start. So the last guy there, uh, this is Victor Head, this political novice who, who organized this recall uh, against you. I, I know you want to talk about, and I hear you on voter suppression, but do you believe, Ms. Hiron, that, that gun control supporters in other states could fall prey to these grassroots insurgencies like the one that this, this guy, Victor Head, mounted in your state? Well, I don't think certainly in Colorado um, because of but in other states. we just passed the... In other states, it depends on what their um, their uh, voter turnout is, because that's what happened here. And if you they believe have, this is all voter turnout, forgive me for interrupting. I'm just trying well, to I mean, understand. Yeah, it's Crystal about clear. having the voices of the people being represented heard. So if it's you know this would be a different story, and I will tell you, it would be a very different story. The results would have been different if people for the would have been able to vote like they have voted for the last 25 years. So. And for other legislators across the country, I don't believe that they're going to um, have any fear about doing the right thing, whether it's on gun legislation, gun safety legislation, or anything else that's important to their constituency, because hopefully in their states they have, um, they'll have voter access. I mean, and that's about what, this? in Colorado, we did some major changes. How about and this? That we really Let me jump in. Let me jump in. Um, two sides of this conversation here and in, in retrospect do you think that your association with mayor michael bloomberg and his his money his out-of-state money might have tainted you among your constituents among those who voted against you oh I, those people would have voted against me no matter what they didn't vote for me in, in 2010 when i ran my first election and they wouldn't vote for me um if i would have had my regular election in 2014 so that's just um a group of people that don't have the same values as myself and the rest of and the majority I would say of people in Pueblo County which is the district I represent quickly since you were up in 2014 uh, this guy won't be in for very long you throwing your hat back in the ring down the road you know I'm just uh, we're looking at um, you know just a lot of options and, and, and so I haven't made any decisions on that again this is really um, New. We worked really hard. We certainly found a tremendous amount of supporters and identified those. And, and so there are some, you know, people have to look at some of the things that we um, look at ourselves and, and say, you know, what happened here. But I'll okay. tell you, in the analysis that we've already looked at now, it's about the high percentage of people who, who vote by mail I hear you who didn't and have that option here. I and I you. talked to people that were just okay. coming out of the hospital, people were going into the hospital, people who had, um, were in wheelchairs, that none of them had the opportunity to get to the uh, polling centers. Okay. Angela Hirone. And that's a sad day. All right, so again, you know, we see that they're, they're just full of excuses. Uh, when they talked about when she talked about the fact that certain voters didn't get to weigh in and so therefore you know that's there was voter suppression and all this other stuff again like Aaron had said they were letting people sign letters of intent or even just come in and say yeah I do this I do that and uh, supposedly there were stories of people kind of stuff in the ballot box whether or not I don't know it would be interesting to see if there's actual proof of that bottom line is though they lost and they're gone and there's new people in there. The big thing for us in the Second Amendment community is that it sends a huge, huge message. I don't know if it sends as big a message in places like New York, uh, Hawaii, Massachusetts, Connecticut, places like that. It does send a huge message, obviously to Colorado, but it sends a big message to places like Texas Montana, Arizona, and especially in Arizona, you know, we've talked about kind of like the political makeup before. It's, it's, it's a, our legislature is a predominantly Republican heavy one. Phoenix in general, 
is more uh, Republican than it is Democrat. If you go down into Tucson, that is that is kind of reversed a little bit. Uh, it is generally more Democratic than it is uh, Republican. Although as a whole, the state is probably more, you know, conservative, uh, maybe little tiny L libertarian. Um, but I think it does send big messages to those Democratic candidates who maybe think, well, I'm going to go ahead and push forward through all these uh, these crazy things. Now, a big part of it, of the recall too, was that these were the sort of the people in charge. So sometimes if you're a minority uh, political member, meaning that if you're the Democrat and it's heavily stacked Republican, you can sometimes go ahead and push some things through because you know there's no, or, or try to get things up because you know that there's really no way that they're going, going to go through and since nothing ever goes through, you can still claim to your your constituent base, oh, yeah, I'm trying to do these things, but, you know, I just can't get it through. Uh, again, a lot of this stuff is all kind of smoke and mirrors and all that type of stuff. But uh, it, it does send a big message of if you push too far, you're gone. We will remove you. And especially when we're calling up and we're telling you, do not do this. We don't want this. You're there to be a representative. And if you don't representative, when it's clear for every one person that you call saying, well, I'm for these bans, you have 10 that are calling and saying, do not do it. When you cause businesses to leave and you cost your state millions of dollars, and revenue, and again, the politicians don't care about it because that's not really going to affect their bottom lines. There was a, a part in the report where she was asking Hiron whether or not she thought that taking money from an outside group from from Bloomberg basically kind of hurt her. And she kind of, you know, you, you heard her response. She kind of him and hawed around it and said, "Well, those people wouldn't vote for me anyway. The people who who didn't like that." But I think she really kind of sells a lot of her. Her even her people, she she sort of sells them short, and basically what she's saying is like, well, my people are going to support me no matter what. But nobody likes to think of their representative as being a lapdog of somebody else, especially when that somebody else is thousands of miles away from your state and has totally different interests. So, especially on the local level, you're there to represent your people. You're not there to take orders from people from New York. And so I do think that probably had a big a big spot of it. Uh, like Aaron had said, you know, the, the, the race was close, but I don't think we'll ever get the true numbers. Um, but again, in talking about that kind of that pendulum swinging back and forth, it used to be kind of in polite company. And this was in the last probably 10, 12 years ago. You never would have said, in a, in a kind of a mixed group, or if you're, you're introducing yourself into a new group, I guess I should say, yeah, I'm a gun owner, or I'm this, or I'm that. You know, that was just kind of it wasn't really talked about, and that is something that is kind of going away. Uh, so it's not like a shameful thing that you need to keep hidden. Uh, and and more and as more and more people are saying, well, yeah, I'm a, you know, I own guns and I like to shoot or. I like to do, and that used to be kind of the thing. Well, I like to target shoot, or I, I'm a hunter. You know, you would kind of do that. But now more and more people are coming out, and they say, "Well, yeah, I have, you know, I have firearms, and the reason I have them, the 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 main reason I got them, yeah, you know, target shooting and plinking is fun, but even that is training for me, and the primary reason I have it is for self protection." And to protect myself and my family, and when we're out in the world, yeah, you know, you know, not everybody says you know that they carry a gun. That's still one of the things that is more done maybe for tactical reasons, or uh, you know, so the, the when you have a concealed weapon, it's concealed weapon, so you don't necessarily just you know blab to everybody that you you know you carry a gun regularly. But if you know if you say, well, I own a firearm and we have it for protection of our our family at home, that's really all they need to know. 
And that is that is becoming more and more acceptable. And before, I think I talked a little bit about younger people kind of growing up with, with YouTube and social media. And especially on YouTube, you know, you see a lot. There is tons and tons of firearms videos. And so you have people kind of growing up with that. It kind of seems like it's a normal part of the society. You also, you know, don't forget there are thousands of people, young young men and women, that have military experience now. And, and to them, firearms, uh, especially if they went in when they were like 18 or 19, firearms aren't seen as a big evil. You also have tons and tons of people that who were maybe on the fence about getting a gun and they kind of thought, well, maybe I'll get one one day. And then all this, uh, you know, the shootings happened and things like that in the schools. And the runs on firearms came because everybody feared a ban. And so you have a lot of people that have bought guns and have bought ammo over the past you know, year and a half or so. And now that they own these, and I've talked about this before, now that they own these things, they own a gun, they see that they fundamentally as a person, they haven't changed. Nothing bad happened. Their wife didn't leave them. Their husband didn't storm out the door. Their kids didn't drop dead immediately just because they purchased a gun and they've been able to have it and keep it and to keep it safely. And they've been able to go out and maybe shoot it and have some enjoyment with it. And they see that fundamentally, well, it's the gun doesn't cause people to do bad things. So it's the person that does that. It's not the property. It's not the object. It's the person that controls the object. So, so again, a, a lot of that contributes to that changing attitude. And a lot of times, you know, the, the numbers that are sported about kind of on our side is, oh, there's, you know, 80 million gun owners. There's probably about 120 million gun owners in this country. There's probably at least, a, a, at a minimum, a third, because a lot of people own them and they're never going to report them. Um, kind of speaking of, of the... Uh, of what happened with this latest ammunition. Well, before I, I, I jump into that, one another thing I wanted to talk about too was because people understand now that it's the object that the that the, um, that the argument of it's the object and not the person has kind of been flipped to where it's the person and not the object. With this last thing that happened in Newtown, when people say, "Well," we don't need more guns in schools, we need less guns in schools. And instead of people swallowing that, what they said, well, wait a minute. If somebody had been there with a firearm and it was known that somebody was there with a firearm and it was known that there was going to either be a, a policeman or maybe one of the, the teachers or one of the staff will be armed and you're never going to know who or if they just have gun on their premises that's locked up in a cabinet some, somewhere that they're going to be able to access, would the person or persons who ever went to those schools, would they have chosen those as targets even in the first place? Because they know they're going to meet resistance. They know that there will be people that are armed there. And this isn't the argument, oh, if just, just if a concealed carry person had been there, if a person with a gun would have been there, then everything would have changed. I'm even taking it a step before that and saying that if, if it was common knowledge that if you went to a school to try and shoot it up, you're probably going to get shot down. You're not going to accomplish what you want to accomplish. So it, it doesn't take a big leap of logic for me to come up with the thing that, well, yeah, it's the same reason why you don't have a lot of people robbing gun stores and you don't have a lot of mass shootings at a gun range or at a police uh, a police precinct, and that's because those people know that they will meet resistance. They now it's not to say it, it never happens. There's still shootings at gun ranges. People still try to rob gun stores, uh, and people still try and commit suicide basically by going up against police, making and, and making the police shoot them. They'll act in such a way where the where the uh, the police aren't given much of a choice, and they'll shoot them. So those things still happen. And, but even again, accepting that, you would say, okay, 
Well, bad things can happen no matter what we do. There's never going to be a perfect solution. There's never going to be a utopia. So it doesn't matter what laws we pass. If somehow there was a magic wand and all guns went away, what would stop somebody from coming into a school or and splashing gas all over the place and and throwing throwing a match or making homemade bombs, you know, out of gasoline? You you couldn't stop that, or or they could you know rig up a school bus, or there's there's all sorts of ways to harm people, and it's like that old expression: you can't legislate crazy, meaning you can't. It doesn't matter what laws you pass if somebody is willing to commit murder in the first place, they're not going to balk at a restriction on a firearm. They're not going to balk on saying, well. You can't burn up an occupied structure. You know, they'll, they'll do what they want to do. So, kind of getting back to the, uh, the whole ammo shortage and the gun shortage and the craze and all that stuff that had happened. Some people now are starting to say, well, I think that the, the, uh, the drought is over. And if we look at what happened at the last one, uh, it started back in basically 08, we see that it took a couple of years, and I think that we're kind of on track for that. And if we look back at, at some of the patterns we saw prior, we're sort of seeing those things again. First, all the guns disappeared, then all the magazines disappeared. Of course, all the ammo goes with it. Now what we're seeing, though, is we're seeing that the guns are back. You can pretty much get what you want now. The magazines are pretty much back. Although I, I I understand that like with Glock and some of the other handgun magazines, it's a hard they're harder to find. However, you can find them. You're maybe still paying a premium price. That's a little bit different than when they just weren't there. So I think we've probably got about another maybe three months or so. Uh, I think about two or three months ago, I said I think it was going to take about six months from from then. Uh, because we're seeing the sign, the same signs that we saw before, and if you think of it, 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 you could apply this to anything. It's basically a simple economic law. You've got supply and demand. Demand way outstrips supply. As people got some of their demand met, the demand starts to go down, and then the supply it basically is kind of evening up. And eventually, what happens is the supply will outstrip the demand, and so the prices are going to go down. Now we're already seeing that with things like PMAGs. And AR-15 magazines. Uh, before, you know, people were paying $50 for a PMAG that normally, uh, prior to this, you could get for $11 or $12. Especially if you found it on sale, sometimes you could get it for $10. Well, now, those very same PMAGs, places like FireQuest and some of the other places that, that I, I get emails from sometimes, some of them are going on sale for like $10. Uh, so you're, you're seeing that that stuff is coming back. You're also what I what I've also seen from some of the online ammunition dealers is that um, some of the rifle rounds, so the the real common ones, which would be seven point six two by thirty nine, so for the AKs and the stuff that shoot the AK variant, you know, like the AK variants, uh, things like the um, oh the SKSs and the uh, oh what is it, the Sig five five six R, and some of those other type of rifles. Anyway. And then you've also got your AR-15, all those variants, all those that shoot the 5.56. So that ammunition is starting to come back. Now, what I saw from, I think it was SGMO, prior to all this stuff, it was about $230 to get a case of uh, 1,000 rounds of uh, 7.62. And that was shipping and everything delivered to your door. Right now... If you if you order those same thing that same one thousand rounds uh, of let's say like Tula ammo, those same uh, that same thing is going to cost you about two hundred and eighty dollars. So you see an increase of about fifty dollars. Well, b- uh, not too long ago, that same amount of ammunition, if you could get it, was costing you four hundred plus. So the prices again, demand is kind of coming back down. Um, surplus is starting to to meet, so they're going to eventually kind of meet in the middle. Right now, um, demand is, I think, outstripping surplus uh, or supply. Excuse me, not surplus. 
uh, supply a little bit and eventually it'll even and then it'll it'll start to go the other way to where you'll actually then have a surplus and that's when you'll be able to go on the stores and find your stuff on the shelves you'll start to see some of these online dealers are going to start doing sales on their ammo some of it they're going to want to sell at a little bit higher price because they probably paid a little bit higher for it uh, just to get it um, and again you have to be kind of savvy on who you're buying from and see if somebody really tried to screw people over there is again that economic formula of supply and demand and of course cost will go up a certain point but then there is gouging where it goes way beyond way beyond what they're doing uh with 22 long rifle i did get a thing i think it was from firequest again saying that they had the cci mini mag in 40 grain it was in you could order it, it was 25 dollars for 100 rounds of that I usually buy the 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 500 round boxes. I hardly ever buy the um, the mini mag stuff. So I I don't even remember what the price was before. I do seem to recall that you could get a, a case. So it was something like 5,000 rounds. Uh, it was for it was under like I want to say it was like 265. So it would have been probably right around like 300 dollars right by the time it got to you. And of course, this was before all, all the all the big blow up and all the the scarcity happened. Uh, and I could I could have my uh, I, I could be remembering the actual price of it. It may have even it may have been more. I can't remember. Um, but again, probably in three months you'll be able to get those again, especially if they're starting to show up. Uh, also, another thing with the magazines, and I've, I've talked about this a little bit before, even though, but the the price for the AK stuff. It's getting back to where it was before. Maybe they're five, ten dollars more here and there, depending on what you're buying and the quality. So if you're getting, you know, excellent uh, unissued stuff, you're going to pay a little bit more. If you're just getting stuff that's maybe used and and uh, they would consider it in good condition, uh, you're probably going to pay maybe around like twenty five, uh, eighteen to twenty five dollars, depending on who you get it from. That type of stuff. So. Um, that's kind of my two cents on, on what I think is happening with the ammo and all that other stuff. Now, one of the reasons why I think it's lasted a little bit longer is because back in 08 and all through the ammo shortage of 09 and partially into to, uh, 2010, a lot of people got caught with their pants down. And sometimes I think it's a, it's an imaginary getting caught with your pants down you you know you weren't really caught with your pants down because prices got back and and, uh, and and things kind of evened out again but within a couple years it happened again and so a lot of people that you know kind of went whoo I got through that crisis and you know I can I can just buy my x amount of ammo you know maybe a box a month or every two or three months I'll go buy a box if I want to go shooting this crisis came again and bans were threatened and you know all sorts of uh, doom and gloom was prophesied and so a lot of those people who got caught with their pants down the second time were saying I'm this isn't going to happen to me again I'm going to buy what I need and I'm going to buy a 3 or 4 year supply of everything that I've got you know I'm going to I'm going to buy the fire I'm going to buy the rifle I want I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy uh five to ten thousand rounds of ammunition for it of every caliber that i've got so and what do most people have nine millimeter 45 762 and 556 uh, and also 40 uh, so but even those people that got caught in that second depancing so to speak i think now are probably getting stocked up on what they wanted the um Every once in a while, I'll get I'll I'll be talking with somebody, or I'll I'll get an email in, and they'll somebody will say, "Well, how much, you know, how much should I have set aside, uh, just for set aside ammo for me just to be able to train?" And you know, I've thought about it a lot, and everybody sort of has their own thing. And some people will say, "Well, how often do you go shoot?" And and uh, if you go shoot twice a year, and you shoot. 200 rounds at each of those you probably need about 400 rounds so if you wanted to have a a three-year supply 1200 rounds would probably do you good 
Um, but if, if you're really going to be serious about it, and I need to do this as well, and also if you're going to go out there and kind of evangelize and proselytize with some of your friends and you want to want to take them shooting, you got to sort of have some extra ammo so that they can go out and they can have fun shooting too. But when you, when you think about it, probably you should be shooting realistically, especially for, for your, uh, your self-defense gun. You should probably be shooting a minimum of about 100 rounds a month just to make sure you're not getting rusty, just to make sure you're, you're doing things properly. You should probably also be taking at least one class per year uh, and then going over some of those fundamentals and basics and, and, and actually practicing what you've, what you've learned, what you've been trained to do. You go out and then you practice it. So if you're doing about 100 rounds a month and you could break that up into, you know, every other week you go out to the range and you shoot 50 rounds of ammo and you have a good, you know, you, you practice your fundamentals and you do what you need to do. So what that means is that over a course of a year per per caliber, and let's say you're going to want to do this with your rifle as well or your shotgun um, uh, or, or if you're just going to do it with your handgun, you would look at 1,200 rounds per year. And if there's you and your wife, then what you're really going to look at is uh, 2,400 rounds per year that you would need to do. And that's going to be just to keep kind of minimum competency up. Again, you're keeping that rust off. You're not letting the rust build up. You're not uh, going to kind of forget how, to, how you need to stand, what you're, how you need to hold the gun. You know, you're, you're doing your draws and all that. Uh, you're also getting feedback with the with the uh, recoil and and you know all that stuff. So anyway, for me, what I think a good number to have would be to say, okay, so let's let's say it's for you and your spouse, and so we're saying it's it's 2,400 rounds of ammunition for you guys to go out and train and and to keep stuff going for a, for about a year. So you multiply that times three. If you wanted to have a three-year supply, because sometimes we've seen on these crises that they'll last about a year and a half, maybe two years, then ammo starts to come back. But if there's another big one, you might want to be able to wait it out. And, and if you've got that supply, what you're actually looking at, uh, again, so it's, it's 2,400 rounds for both of you for the year. So you're looking at 7,200 rounds of ammunition. For, for a three-year supply. And of course, this would be stuff that you would be rotating through and, and constantly trying to replace. But if you wanted to have a stockpile, again, for two, if there's just one of you, that um, that would go down again, 1,200 a year. So for a three-year supply, you're going to look at 3,600 rounds. Again, for two of you, you're going to look at 7,200. So that's that seems like a lot, and if you had it all bulked up and, and stockpiled, it would be. But again, what that is, is that's your rainy day. That's your insurance. That allows you to do training. That allows you, if you wanted to, if you had an opportunity to do a training class, like a MAG-40, it allows you the opportunity for you guys, and let's say there's going to be two of you, for you guys to take 600 of those rounds and spend them wisely there. And because you've got a surplus, you've got your own surplus, you can afford to wait. And you can ride out the crisis. Uh, so anyway, that's kind of where I'm coming from. And again, you you sort of have to determine kind of your own level of, of how many rounds you want to, ex- want to expend. Uh, for me, like I said, it's probably about a minimum of about 100 rounds a month. Um, and, and you could... Uh, you may say, well, I, 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 I want to shoot that same amount for my rifle. I want to shoot that same amount in my shotgun. Again, so that I've got some competency and things like that. You don't have to buy the best ammo for that training ammo. Also, what you can do, uh, of course, unfortunately right now, it's hard to find the twenty two long rifle stuff. But if you've got, um, oh, what's the word? Uh, Not an adapter kit. If you've got a conversion kit, that's the word. So like for my Glock 17, I have an Advantage Arm twenty two conversion. So I can easily, with that one box of of uh, what is it, Golden Boy ammo or the the uh, the Remington ammo, 
I can easily, I've got basically five months worth of training that I can do and that, that will allow me to push back maybe my um, one year supply of, of, of nine millimeter. I can shoot less of that and more of the 22 and so I can extend both. So again, you can kind of work the math out however you want. If you've got a conversion kit for your AR-15 and you can shoot 22, or if you've even got a dedicated thing. So let's say you have a uh, M&P, a Smith & Wesson M&P 9mm, and then you've also bought the 22, uh, which is, is it the M&P 2? I don't know. I don't know what it's called. You guys know what it is. Um, but let's say you've got that. You've got dedicated guns, so you can go out and you can train with that. It's going to be familiar. That's what I really like about that conversion is I'm still using the frame. I'm still using the same mag release. Everything basically is the same for me on that. Uh, what I like about the Advantage Arm Kit is it does lock back. Um, they are, is it 10 rounds? I want to say they're 10 rounds. The one that the magazines that I have are 10 rounds. I think they're making, and uh, if, if, if I'm wrong, correct me, but I think they're making, um, I want to say 15 rounders. Or am I mistaken on that? Or is, or is it 25 that they're making? Uh, uh, to go in for the advantage arm kits. I, I may be mistaken on that. Uh, but anyway, you know, you can, you can do good fundamentals. You can do good stance, good trigger press, good presentation, all that stuff with 22. Uh, 22 is dirtier. Sometimes your ammo isn't going to be that great. Um, you know, if you have some stoppages, use that as a training, you know, use that to properly clear that malfunction. Uh, so, you know, let's see, I, if, I think that's going to about do it for today. I think I've covered everything I wanted to cover. Uh, hopefully you guys got something out of the show today. Uh, like I said, if you're an attorney, you know about those trusts or, or um, if you want to throw in your two cents on, on what you think is going on with the ammo shortage, uh, when do you think that's going to end? Uh, what do you think is happening with uh, uh, in Colorado? What do you think is going to be the... Uh, the long-term fallout from that type of stuff. Uh, go ahead, excuse me, go ahead and uh, let me know. And like I said, I think that's going to do it. Uh, oh, uh, one other thing. The uh, just want to recommend some other um, some other shows that you can listen to. Of course, there's uh, if you for Second Amendment stuff. There's uh, the Gun Dudes. There is Downrange Radio. There's gun talk. Um, what's some other stuff I'm thinking of here? I know I'm I'm kind of drawing a blank. Um, Modern Rifleman Radio, which is a new podcast that Ken Kowalski's doing. He's also got his other one, which is the Rimfire Podcast. There is um, I'm drawing a blank. Um, the Road Gunner Podcast. There is uh, politics and guns. Oh, I know I'm going to be leaving some people out, but there's just tons of them over there. You can go on iTunes and search for stuff, and you'll see tons of other things. Uh, also, don't forget, I'll even plug my own show, uh, my other show, which is um, The Armed Ape at, oh, what am I saying? <laughs> which is The Armed Ape Podcast. I was almost going to say thearmedape at gmail.com. So again, uh, if, if you want to uh, contact me, you can use uh, firearmscafe at gmail.com to send in an email or a uh, audio file that you've done. You can also call the voicemail number, which is uh, 602-745-2731. All right, guys. For realsies now, this is it. I will talk to you next time. Take care. Bye. Here we go. One step at a time, don't be Says that you're moving again. I don't wanna.